Some of you might recall uh, an earlier endeavor I had with a, a fellow by the name of Sean Chang, uh, specifically number seven. Um, he's a dear mate of mine, and uh, you know he's 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 recently set up his own business specializing in kernel hardening. So if you're involved in the security, uh, information security, or security in any form uh, within your company, um, do and and you're looking to to for for specifically harden hardening of the kernel. Uh, do reach out to Sean, and you can find him at hardenedvault.net. So he'll he'll look after you. Uh, he's a good lad. Anyway, on with the show. you coming on mate um i actually i actually discovered you through reading your code and and i thought i was looking at this code and i thought this 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 guy this guy knows what he's doing he's he writes really 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 beautiful code um so Appreciate thanks that. very much for uh, uh saying yes to this this indaba um yeah maybe you can tell us a bit about yourself sure yeah um so yeah, my name is Alexi, and online I I go by Cloudhead usually. Oh yeah. Um, it's okay, an, an old handle. Um, I uh, I'm based in Switzerland, but I'm French of nationality. My mom is Iranian, so I'm I'm technically half Iranian, half French. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been um, I've been living in Berlin um, for the last ten years before I moved here. Um, but I grew up actually in Switzerland, so I did all of my uh, my schooling here and actually started coding here um, from the age of about 13, 14. Uh -huh. um, and uh, yeah, I, I got pretty early into sort of um, open source and, and the free software movement and Linux and like all, all those nice things uh, as a teenager. Um, and started contributing to to various projects, starting my own. Um, and um, yeah, I ended up um, working uh, in the industry for a number of years, uh, mostly in the the, the web industry. Um, you know, building web servers, uh, web pages, and all those all those things. Um, before I, I ended up specializing more in uh, distributed systems. Um, there I did some work at SoundCloud uh, and a bunch of other um, Web2 companies um, doing kind of infrastructure. And that, that's when I really got interested in, yeah, just um, networked systems and, and what's possible there and um, even consensus uh, algorithms uh, that predate, um, you know, Nakamoto consensus. Um, and uh, and then, you know, a few years ago, I think it was 2016, 17, some, somewhere around there, I, I started to, to get interested in cryptocurrencies and blockchain. And um, I guess I guess originally just from a technical perspective, but um, little by little, I, I saw the potential as more of a 
political force um, in the world. And, um, and, and it, it really brought back a little bit of wonder uh, for me because um, for a long time, I was disillusioned with the web and the basically ad tech, right? Like everything was either a, you know, B2B thing or, 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 or an ad business. And I was kind of burnt out with all of that stuff. Dude, I can't, I can't agree with you more, man. It's like, where, what happened to the old internet? You know, the, the exactly. wild internet you'd sort of like, you know, log on to that you sort of exactly. like felt addicted to. You just really wanted to be just connected to, even if you weren't doing anything, you know, just, just being just connected was. Yeah. And yeah, I, I grew up with that shit. And, um, you know, like the, the early, early and mid nineties, it was just the, the birth of the internet. Um, yeah. And uh, and that all sort of went away with the big platforms, and and the, the kind of dream of like this uh, this peer to peer space where everyone could express themselves and everyone had sort of their own turf and their own home or homepage, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and I think Bitcoin kind of brought that back in a way, mm -hmm. uh, and and that's what that's what really um, piqued my interest, actually. This is this, you know, bringing um, power back to the user, um, bringing freedom back to the user, uh, and uh, um, subverting these massive uh, platforms, right? Right, right. But yeah. but you know you don't you don't only just focus in on on distributed computing. You've done a number mm -hmm. of other things, like um, you, you've focused a little bit on Rust and uh, developed out of, what was it, a, a little editor that you got for little icons? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, what's the story there? I mean, the code's, um, the code's great. It's, it's, it's quite good. Uh, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> do you have, like, a bit of a background in games, too? I mean, I do. I do. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've always been a gamer. I mean, especially as a kid now, I, I feel like I don't have as much time. I, I don't oh, just I feel it. I really do. Um, but as a as a kid, I played a lot of video games, and um, and that was a big part of my life. And, and also, I was making games, mods, and things like that, and, and that was super fun. And um, and again, you know, same same sort of trajectory. The games became more and more expensive to make. Um, you had these these AAA games that were um, big budget, um, hundreds of people working on them, and and it, and it got boring again because uh, there was no more risk. There there's no more novelty. And then the whole indie scene um, started, you know, uh, I don't know when, when it was, maybe 10 years ago or something like that. Um, and with Minecraft, I guess that was the first, you know, big indie game in the recent years. And would you, um, say, would, would you say it's Minecraft? Wouldn't that be that Braid? Braid, yeah, be you, braid? Could, you could say so, yeah. But I guess like, like the thing that really kicked off the indie game scene, I think, was Minecraft. Because it was... okay. Yeah. You know, it was it was a single person. I mean, Braid also was a single person, um, and it. But it, in terms of sales and, uh, you know, market wise, it competed with with the, the biggest games. Right, right, um, right. And so I wanted to, to just kind of um, do something there, and, and and that's why I created RX, which is basically a pixel animator. Um, you can, um, uh, yeah, create animations like characters or or whatever for games for other things as well. Um, but the, the idea was, um, cause I was coding a lot in Vim and I wanted to kind of switch over to the pixel editor and do some, some pixel work, pixel artwork, but I didn't want to change my key bindings, you know, I, I didn't want... <laughs> scratch your itch, right? <laughs> right. So what am I going to do? I'm going to develop a, a whole editor just around Vim key bindings. 
which is kind of which is kind of the the uh, the initial idea with uh, with RX. And originally, it was developed in C actually before I, I discovered Rust. And uh, um, and then when I when I discovered Rust, I kind of thought it would be a good thing to rewrite because um, it's a fairly complex piece of software. There's a lot of moving parts, you know, like the graphics and the um, input output and all that stuff. Um, and um, yeah, and, and now, you know, it's far superseded this, the C version, but the, the concept was really to, to try to, what happens if you bring Vim to a graphical editor? Like, what does that look like? So you can navigate in things like that uh, in, in a similar way to Vim. You have a, a command line within the editor where you can um, enter commands and you can, uh, there's even a scripting language. There's not, not really scripting, but there's a configuration language that's all in text um, where you can define key bindings and things like that. So. Oh, okay, so you, can you can you do can you do like a recording of, of things like macros and whatnot? You can. So there's there's some functionality around that. You can actually uh, record sessions and replay them and things like that. Right. But the the command language is fairly basic at the moment. It's it's really just um, uh, calling cool. commands, mapping commands to keys, uh, moving things around, saving, loading files, things like that. But right, it's, right. The, the, the possibilities are endless, really. <laughs> so you must have been very serious about this particular... You, what game were you making for you to decide um, to create this pixel editor? No. Um, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was just fooling around a little bit. I, I was um, uh, working on a sort of platform platformer type game, mm. right? like a side-scrolling game. Um, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't really a serious project. It was just kind of like a hobby thing. Uh, I was I was playing around with some some game concepts, and um, uh, yeah, I mean it's like it's it's kind of the, the the story of my life of like trying to do something, or maybe every open source uh, author's life trying to make something. You find a tool, it's not good enough. You write your own, and then um, you forgot what you were making initially, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. Now. Um... I'm quite an avid follow follower of um, uh, Jonathan Blow. He's like mm, a, a little. Bit, he's a little bit of a personal hero of mine. You know, I've learned so much from him. I've learned so much from him. Like you just follow his streams, and you know, sort of like you know, listen to him ranting on about. <laughs> I love he's very peculiar, though. He's he's controversial. I would say it's almost like he tries to be controversial and say things that are gonna like deeply upset you, um, but then. You know, you, you it, it's enjoyable actually. I, I really yeah. Like when it. you sort of sit back and think about it, you're like, hang on a bit. He's actually just, right. <laughs> some answer truth, but it's funny. There's um, yeah, there, there's some things that come to mind where he talks about like uh, it's like oh, like small functions are bad. Like you should have these these massive functions um, because uh, whatever. Real world functions. code, right? Yeah, yeah, real yeah, world. I, real world code is like not just small <laughs> functions, and you're like, oh, actually, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember it was just something stick out. Um, he's very. Um, he also hates uh, the uh, what is it called? Uh, the, you know the the, the VS Code. Um, uh, you know the the editor IDE. backends um, that are shared. Um, is it common language protocol? The, uh, oh, like is this the, is this that that Microsoft stuff? The common runtime stuff. The uh, the, uh, this is Microsoft land, bro. The language backends, you know, the language backends that Vim and, and uh, um, Emacs and all these editors use. Yeah. Um, I, for, I can't, for some reason, I, I forgot the name of it. But uh, 
Um, this idea of abstracting away like ID functionality into uh, a daemon and then having the editors talk to the, the daemon as a Oh, server, like a language server, server kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. He hates that. And like he has an entire yeah. talk about why language servers are bad. And that's something I kind of disagree with him about, actually. I think somehow like, like Vim used to be sort of crippled in a lot of ways compared to IDEs. And, and now with, with language, like especially the Rust one, for example, Rust Analyzer is really, really good. And the Vim integration is really good. And now like Vim is, is you know, it's still not an ID, but it has like kind of um, some of the features that, that make the, that kind of experience really enjoyable. I'm interested to know why, why you think it that because like, for example, uh, before I got this machine, I had a, like a, almost a 10 year old, like a ThinkPad. And I tried to compile that Rust language server, and I just got an, I got an OOM out of memory uh, error, and I was like, "Yeah, fuck this shit. I I'm yeah. not going to use this stuff again." Um, yeah. So so I, my my simple setup is to use um, AMP. Are you familiar with AMP? No. AMP is like a minimalist Vim written in Rust. I might have heard of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I follow all these, all these kind of. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I thought, I thought, okay, stuff Emacs, stuff Vim, stuff uh, it all. I want to go for a minimal stuff like that's fast. It doesn't take you know a yeah. lot of time to load up a big file or something, and and I can just edit stuff. Stuff. So so I just use that, and 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 I don't want to care about language servers, and I just use simple printf for my debugging. Okay. No. Nothing else. That's you know, just just keep it as simple as humanly possible, and then just try to remember everything. And once I got everything in my memory and fingertips, then then I can flow a lot faster. And yeah, I don't know. This is why I think I. As yeah, soon as I, I come like into that. contact with the language server and it starts giving me tips and hints and stuff, oh no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I can understand. I'm, I guess I'm sort of in the middle. Um, Compared to almost everyone I know, like their their setups are very complicated and and slow and, and like slowness is the one thing that kills it for me. Like I will not I will not wait for a file to load or for you know something like that. Something yeah. Cool. Um, but other than that, um, yeah. I mean, I, I probably spent like sunk hours into getting my my setup to be. <laughs> Uh, to work well. Having having said that, aren't you a bit envious, envious of of not being able to program in Jai? In J oh yeah. Come um, on. I'm like John. Why don't you Why don't you open source it? He's like, no, not yet. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. I, I'm like, I think it's going to be kind of a mess of a language. I don't know. I I, I, I think really, so. Yeah, in a way, yeah, because it's it's so it's going to be so idiosyncratic. You know, it's going to be John Blow's language that is kind of designed for himself and no one else. And he doesn't care about anyone else. He just, you know, he, he's, he's not open sourcing it. He's not, I don't think he's getting any feedback from, from anyone at the moment. No, and, no, I think he is, eh? Yeah. He's got like a hundred beta users at the moment. Okay, beta users, yeah, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> mm, I don't know, hey, it's like some, some of the stuff in there are just like so sound, the, the, the reasoning mm. is just so sound. Like for example, you get that, um, what he refers to, oh, what does he call it? You know, when you like a hash run, um, and then it it builds out via bytecode, uh, uh, hmm. you know, runs it in the sort of like, and then presents the 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 the, the file for the the main compilation run. Right. I really like that sort of stuff. Um, I particularly like how John John has got a, a, a transition from from you know like a, a lambda function 
Mm. And it goes from a lambda function to like a, 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 a named function, and then it sort of captures arguments. So, so it's a very logical progression mm. into a fully, you know, global function. And, and I think, what, like, why? <laughs> why don't we all do that? Why? You know, there's some fundamental stuff in there that John sees, and I just think it's just so fundamentally right. I don't know. I, I know. I think I might disagree with you being a hodgepodge of a. <laughs> I have to look at it again. Um, yeah. I think it's been a few years. I haven't looked at Jay. I, the, the ideas were definitely interesting. I was a bit afraid of the whole. Um, I remember he wanted to um, have this really uh, complex um, macro system, where essentially com compilation time and, and runtime are sort of have the same language. Which that's that's I mean, the one I'm list, talking about. I guess. Um, and I, I've done a little bit of list, and it, you know, it's it's interesting. It's it's extremely powerful for sure, but um, I guess you just have to be careful not to abuse it. It's 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 ripe for abuse. Um, yeah, I, th I think I think I quite like that because now all of a sudden you don't need uh, auto make, you don't right. need cargo, right? You, you just do everything in the same language and you can like you can set the parameters for your yeah. architecture your target architecture yeah. and it sort of builds it up for you yeah. sensible yeah. it's, it's gonna be interesting but it, it will be it will be weird I'm, that I, that, I, that I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit more um, uh, optimistic about zig uh, oh yeah heard of zig, yeah, yeah. Um, because it's it's sort of it's not going too far. You can tell it's it's an incremental. It's like it's an evolution of something, not a revolution. Um, but it's taking a lot of the good ideas from Rust, and um, but you know, incrementing over them and and really trying to offer something different. Um, Doesn't it also support that John Blow sort of like a, a compilation? Yeah, there's something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. it's. I don't think it's all the way. Um, I think you have to. There's some kind of keyword that you use to, to to say, okay, now this is going to be run at compile time or something. Right. Like that. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and um, have you actually used Zig for anything? No, I I, I only went as far as uh, installing it. <laughs> it's just like, like, yeah. Getting, getting Another fucking language. And, you know? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like I've been I've been wasting too much time learning languages. You know, like I I, I went like before Rust, I, I went through a Haskell phase of like four years, which was really really nice. But you know, I'm 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 glad I'm doing Rust now because there was too much there was too much um, time on things that were not solving problems and and, and building what? things in Haskell. Space leaks, <laughs> space leaks, like all of the 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 um, language features that you have to enable or not enable or think about enabling maybe, um, which instantly Rust has that with, with Nightly, which is why I don't touch Nightly. But um, uh, you don't. <laughs> and I, cooling, I live on Nightly. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, and before that, I went through an Erlang phase, which was also ridiculous. Yeah, I did the um, Erlang phase too. You no, did, yeah. Absolutely. Beautiful language. Also loved, loved it, actually. It's great. Yeah. But like for, for, from a distributed systems perspective, it's completely mind blowing. It is. I mean, it does nope. everything right from that perspective, right? It's, yeah. It's really, yeah. Um, but I, I think there, the, the learnings from just understanding why the language was built that way was much more revelatory than using it. You know, just understanding why it was built and designed that way um, taught me much more than, uh, 
than writing code in Erlang almost. Yeah, okay, okay. But did you did you write anything in anger with Erlang? No. No. Okay. Okay. So it was more like sort of hobby projects and stuff like that and just reading reading Joe Armstrong stuff and material and listen to him <laughs> ranting exactly. too. I, the book is great. And um and uh yeah, I wrote a game server in Erlang actually. Oh you did? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fun. It's really well. It's it's really well thought out. I must say, like it's um, you can tell it's a system that's been used in production for many, many, many years. Yeah, right? and that it's been refined to the point where there's very little you could have issue with. It's just yeah, is, yeah. is there yeah. thought out. And then the OTP. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. What, what 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 a shitty name. <laughs> but uh, what an open telephone. Platform or something. Platform, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's exactly how one should model it. That you should have those, those, those uh, retries. Those, um, you know, the supervisor, the supervisor model yeah. in in the face of failure. Yeah, and the idea that all message del delivery is unreliable, for example, just yeah. that idea is is, um, is useful. Yeah, actually, um, the knowledge of Erlang served as a fundamental inspiration for this networking protocol that I've been building at the moment. It's uh, mm -hmm. sort of like a content-centric information yeah. uh, networking protocol. And the assumption is that any message that you send is just mm -hmm. right. don't expect anything <laughs> to get through. It's <laughs> not even consent. Yeah, it's, it's done for. You send it out there and it just is gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't expect anything or two-phase commits or anything yeah. like that. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, so so now you've also spent some time to implement something called the Nakamoto, which uh, which and, and maybe you want to go into that because I I was going through this actually this is the the bit of code that I was looking at and mm -hmm. I'm I'm seriously well I'm about to start out on integrating this code with um, something that I'm developing at the moment. Um, it's um, it's a uh, it's it's basically BIP three hundred. Or um, Paul Stork and and Crypt Axe's um, uh, idea behind drive chains, and I, I'd like to create a a Rust implementation of the the side chain stuff, um, so, and it's basically designed to work with SPV. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, okay, fuck, how much implementation code am I going to have to do here? And I did a bit of research, and I come across this guy named Cloudhead, and I see something called Nakamoto. I'm like, holy. Fuck, this is great. Open for us, uh, open for us. Tell us yeah. what's going on, what's the story, what's the inspiration, what's the design yeah. decisions that you've made, et cetera, et cetera. There's been a, there's been a bunch of people over the, the last year who've uh, sent me emails or, or whatever, um, being like, oh, I was looking for you know, exactly this, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm so glad I found it. And, and I was in the same boat, really, um, when I, when I uh, started the project. Uh, there was one other client, which was uh, by a fellow called Thomas Bloomer, I think, um, which was called Mermel. And it was essentially a, um, yeah, an SPV client written in Rust. It was, it was very, the code was very like proof of concept. They didn't have any tests. It was- uh, Do you want to define what SPV is? Oh yeah, simple payment verification. Um, so it's it's the name of, of a protocol that actually was, was even in the original uh, Satoshi paper. Um, that essentially says that you can verify that a payment was made by just tracking block headers. Um, and it's one of the reasons why, why um, 
Bitcoin blocks are split between headers and, and transactions. Um, it's because the, uh, the it allows for this protocol where you essentially follow only the block headers, which are very light. They're 80 bytes per header. Um, so you can uh, you can essentially synchronize the entire blockchain uh, in about 60 megabytes. And uh, you can verify the proof of work. And then the original protocol basically said that you could um, uh, request from a full node a proof of inclusion of a transaction. This was a Merkle proof. And you would, um, given a block header, you would have the transaction uh, root hash. And you would have the inclusion proof, and you could verify that they match. And this would mean that your transaction is indeed in a certain block, right? So that was the original idea. Brilliant, to be honest, especially for its time. Um, the only problem with that um, eventually was privacy, right? So if you were uh, going to ask for an inclusion proof, um, you were essentially saying, hey, here's my transaction. Please prove to me that um, it's in the block, right? So now the full node knows your transaction uh, and so knows your, your wallet and your history and everything. They, they made some improvements on it with bloom filters and things like that. How does this all this work? I, 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 it's like I, I, we've got a lot of time, and it would be great if we could sort of like go into this. And I think that's BIP one six seven, the Bloom filter one. If I recall correctly, yeah, we can go into it later. Um, uh, yeah. So the the Bloom filter one. Um, so I haven't implemented it, so I I, I may not know all the details. But mm. um, essentially, the idea was that you could set a filter. Um, on the server you're communicating with, for instance, um, and you would say, hey, this, these are the, the transactions I'm interested in. Um, here's the filter. So Bloom filter, it's a probabilistic um, uh, data structure, let's say, where, where you, uh, the, the whole idea is that you, you could get false positives, but you would never get false negatives. So if, if a transaction matches a filter, uh, you will always, uh, get a yes, get a match. Um, you, but you might also get transactions that actually don't match the filter um, coming your way, right? So that's the, that's the false positives. What you won't get is the uh, false negatives, which is that um, you, you will get a, a non-match when there actually is a match, right? It's kind of hard to, to put this in words, but that's, that's kind of the idea. And so you set this filter, and then you would um, only receive um, uh, transactions that match your your wallet or your scripts, um, and the the node you're talking to wouldn't know which ones they are because you're using a, a Bloom filter that that matches a lot of other things as well, right? Um, so that was kind of the idea. Uh, it, again, it it worked to a certain extent, and then there were um, privacy issues that were found out that it was very easy to correlate um, addresses. Um, uh, by looking at multiple uh, filters used by the same peers. Um, there's a lot of attacks that were actually fairly easy to use. Um, and uh, someone put it in a way that was kind of kind of interesting that said, um, it's easy to lie once, but it's hard to lie consistently, basically, um, about which addresses are yours or which transactions are yours. And so eventually that, that was um, scrapped. Uh, well, it's it's still full node, like Bitcoin Core still supports it, but um, an, a new protocol was designed, uh, origin, originally called uh, Neutrino. Uh, and um, this protocol was turned into BIP 157 and 158. 
And this new protocol um, is based on the, the idea of client-side filtering, which is the idea that instead of the filtering happening on the server side, so on the full node, um, which means that the server has some knowledge of, of the filter and, and what you're looking for, uh, instead the filtering happens on the client, so on, on your own machine or mobile phone or whatever, um, and you actually um, uh, filter out the transactions and, and scripts that you're interested in. And uh, we can go into more detail on how this works, um, but, but that's kind of the idea. And, and it was um, so it was put in, 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 in a BIP, it was accepted, the code was uh, merged um, recently or not recently, but basically right around the time I started Nakamoto, because um, that was kind of the impetus to start. It was that this, this co code integrating the, the new BIP um, was about to be merged and uh, this could open up a, a new, an entirely new um, ecosystem and set of clients that use the, these protocols. Okay, okay. Yeah. So um, before I, I spoke about the, uh, I, I interrupted you, rudely interrupted you with the, the explanation on the bloom filters. You, you were still continuing to explain um, uh, Nakamoto. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so as I said, uh, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the code was merged into Bitcoin core, which means that all of a sudden, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of nodes were going to pop up that supported client-side filtering, right? right? This is very exciting. Um, there was nothing out there um, written in Rust um, that was that had this capability yet of, of using this light client protocol. Mm -hmm. um, the only um, implementation was Neutrino in Go. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there was there's a Scala one from Sherbits that maybe was already underway or, or not. I'm, I'm not sure, I discovered it later. Um, but I wanted something really, really lightweight and really good for mobile eventually. Um, Specifically and, why? I, like, I know why, but I, I'm going to be the <laughs> devil's advocate uh, <laughs> asking these questions. <laughs> well, I, I think, I mean, the, the, the mobile thing, I think, is important because um, that's where the, the biggest user base is going to be moving mm -hmm. forwards. And maybe even today it already is, is on mobile, but especially um, in the future, I can see that. Um, whenever you're going to be making a payment, you're probably not going to be at your desk at your computer. You're you're maybe going to be in a store or on the go or or whatever. Um, I suppose the also it's yeah. metered, right? Your mm -hmm. your your metered. phone your your data connection on yeah. mobile phone is metered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you're 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 paying probably more than you would be on on desktop, um, and you probably don't have. I mean, I have unlimited internet here, but not everyone does, and um, uh, it's not necessarily fast. Um, the other thing is that mobile phones make much better wallets than computers or desktops um, for security reasons. Uh, you know, you have the enclave and stuff like that. You can you can store private keys in there, and uh, um, so it's a little bit safe. It's it's a it's a much better wallet than a than a laptop, basically. And also, you can put it in your jean pocket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so you know that that was sort of the the original um, intent. Was to create something very lightweight um, that could be embedded in, in any uh, wallet software on any mobile phone. Um, that was very bandwidth efficient, CPU efficient, memory efficient. Um, which you know we have the 
with with Bitcoin, um, it's maybe today one of the few blockchains left that is still um, uh, very efficient and lean, right? It's actually not very expensive to run even a Bitcoin full node. And it's even less expensive to run a, uh, a light node compared to things like Ethereum or um, all these like super high uh, TPS Shitcoins. chains. Yeah. So, you know, you look at the, the other layer ones. Uh... <laughs> Sorry. No, I saw you dodge that. I was like, okay, all right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm one of the, I'm, I'm definitely not a, 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 a maximalist. Although, like Bitcoin is, is really for me the, the, the greatest of, uh, of all the cryptocurrencies, but I'm, I'm very interested in, um, and all of the other innovation out there. And, um, but one of the things, um, these, these other layer ones, um, don't consider is, is the, the, the resource requirements, you know, when they say like, oh yeah, this is, this can process, um, thousand transactions per second on the base layer. It's like, well, why would you want to do that? Like, who's gonna, who's gonna run these nodes? Who's gonna validate that? Right. So, yes, exactly. Um, this is kind of nonsensical. And so um, I'm really, I'm really glad, uh, you know, Bitcoin core devs have some sense in them to, to not try to, uh, you know, the, the, the four cores were, were very telling. I think the fact mm -hmm. that we didn't um, go for the increased block size made me very happy. Um, and, uh, and, and this means, this means we're going to, you know, it's going to be a, a decentralized network for a lot longer. Right. Um, and it's going to stay that way. I think I got kind of lost in this rant. I know uh, we can, we can, we can continue ranting because I mean, we're, we're, we're poking at some of the fundamental things that I suppose, uh, what, what, what's this concept of the eternal September? Like back when the internet was growing up, um, you know, uh, the eternal September basically means like every single, like at any given point, there's always a new wave of people coming on board and everybody's always learning, you know? Right. So like, like one thing I think folks, like what you just said there is probably one of the most important things of why Bitcoin is so decentralized is that it's just a node which just does a series of rules checking. Um, it, it doesn't make, you know, huge um, uh, grand things of doing a thousand TPS per second. It doesn't do stupid things like uh, like uh, uh, executing contract code um, and, and checking every single rule and step like, like that. Uh, you know, like, have you tried running an Ethereum full node now? Tried, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane. Did you manage to do that? I, I didn't manage to sync it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Like, I tried to do this like um, uh, before 2017. I, like, I still, I still do like to understand about different technologies, all the different the other t the, the side chains. And I mean the the, the altcoins and whatnot, I like to sort of keep a, abreast of what's going on. But the more I look at what's going on, the more I sort of pull back towards Bitcoin. And I'm like, actually, this is really where it is. For example, when Tezos launched, I set up a Tezos node and then I ran it uh, on an SSD. Very, very quickly, my mm. SSD died. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, all right, I'm really running out of space because of this bloody blockchain. Let me, let me, let me do a spinning rust, mm -hmm. uh, a hard disk. And I put it on there and it was not catching up to, to the, the tip. And I thought, what the uh, It's too slow. It's crazy. Yes. Okay. So there's, there's, I'm sort of like rolling with the rant here. I mean, whereas Bitcoin, Bitcoin just basically sees like, you know, small blocks 
um, yeah. and you just do a series of rule checks and then move on quick, 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 get the job done, done and dusted. Yeah, and, and it, it really makes sense as a settlement layer, you know, like, like all the other stuff should not be on the base layer, I think. Mm -hmm. and, and this is why, um, you know, I mean, I like, like yourself, but um, I, I, I love looking at what Ethereum is doing in terms of um, the, the, the potential and the experimentation you can do there. You know, the, you can write arbitrary code. It's, it's, it's quite fascinating and, and quite amazing to use. But um, in terms of actually building something solid that is not just experimental and that is going to be a foundation for the future, I think stuff like RGB um, or the, the drive chains you were talking about, like those are to me much more um, feasible or scalable uh, and, and, and make a lot more sense in, in the long run. Right? And yeah, it, it is going to take longer to develop than something like, like Ethereum um, for, for a V1 or, or whatever but it's going to be worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. Bef wait, can we sort of backtrack to the point where before we sort of like got on a rant about... <laughs> yeah. So you, you, so, you talk, continue talking so about lack of about Yeah, I was talking about uh, the, uh, the, the impetus for, for, for creating Nakamoto. Um, and, and then in terms of the design, um, it was essentially... Um, so yeah, and another important aspect was the, the privacy aspect. I'm I'm a fairly privacy conscious person, um, and um, I, you know, I wanted a, a, a light client that didn't leak uh, transaction data or addresses if it didn't have to, um, and and all these things together um, kind of made me start the project about uh, maybe it was a year ago now, um, and uh, and and the rest of the design was really based on my experience. So. Um, you know, trying to minimize the amount of dependencies um, because it's just less code equals less bugs, essentially less security uh, holes and, and things like that. Um, and uh, trying to go for a design that is um, easy to test because uh, the, if there's one thing I, I learned in, in, in building networked and, and distributed systems is that they're, they're, they're usually full of bugs <laughs> and, and they're full of bugs because they're very hard to, um, uh, to to wrap your head around, right? There's like there's there's timing issues, there's there's race conditions, there's all kinds of things. It's like, wait, how did this message arrive before this message? How is that even possible? It's like it is, you know, um, and and stuff that you don't, you really don't like the non-determinism. Um, it, it's it's something that's really hard to to think about and rationalize, and the only way out of it. Is essentially to build uh, something that can be tested uh, thoroughly, um, uh, and and what I mean by that is uh, uh, some something you can you can test with uh, fuzz testing and simulations and things like model checking. So these are these are different different techniques I've used in the past, um, and they rely on or some of the the properties of, of a system uh, to look for um, are determinism, right? So how do you make a non-deterministic system into a deterministic one? Well, you remove the non-determinism, which is things like clocks, um, IO, um, randomness, uh, things like that. And and so you said like a good Haskeller. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, so so you 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 build the the core of the protocol in that way, right? So for instance, you'll see strange things in Nakamoto that you may not see in other implementations, which is like 
or like one of the parameters is a is an RNG, right? A random number generator. It's like, why would you take that as a parameter? It's like, well, so that I can control the this the source of entropy, right? So that I can in a test I can pass the same thing over and over and it'll yield the same, you know, you don't want flaky tests in, in this case. Um why is the clock also passed in as a parameter? Same reason. Um so this allows for things like I noticed that by the way. <laughs> yeah. It can seem that's that's why that's why when I say when I said I, I really appreciate your code I saw those sorts of things and I'm like okay I need to speak to this guy this guy's <laughs> I like these decisions that you made they're very good continue please <laughs> yeah so like, like hash maps in Rust are non-deterministic right yeah. so if you want deterministic uh, dictionaries you either use B tree maps or you pass um, an RNG again to, you, you create a, a hash map with with a seed or with an RNG that. Um, that you control, which is which is what I do. And when you have that, the really cool thing you can do is you can Why start creating... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting me excited. You're getting me excited. Yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> simulations. So, so these are these are essentially uh, you can you can you can run the protocol um, at a thousand x the speed that it would normally run. Okay, and you can run it against itself as well. So you can you can say spin up three peers. That are all running the, this deterministic protocol and have them synchronize with each other, for example, or, or communicate with each other, right? And because you have no IO and because you control time, um, you can run an entire synchronization in like 100 milliseconds or 10 milliseconds even, which means you can start to run thousands of these simulations, right? And um, and and check the properties of the system as as you're as you're running the simulations, check invariants. Right, um, have have different assertions on the on the code in the test, and then check the the end results. Right, so you want all your simulations to converge towards all nodes being in sync, for example. So this is this was very useful when when creating uh, like consensus algorithms or or um, systems that converge to a certain state. Um, but it's also useful even for light clients um, that are sort of maybe not creating the consensus but sort of following it right um and uh yeah and this is this is super helpful as a as a way to create correct code in my experience and and this is this is basically why nakamoto was built the way it is um it's also single threaded for that reason partly for that reason um and um there's no async rust in there Thank you. And that's for another reason, which is that it's... But thank you. Thank you for that. Horrible use. <laughs> I noticed that you went um, with um, uh, channels and, yeah. and, and, and thanks for that. It's just so much more simplified. It's so much I, better. But, but let's go on a rant about async Rust. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can come back to this, uh, this uh, little fork point. I mean, look, I, I, I've, um, I've had experience with, with quite a bit of uh, async runtimes. So Erlang yeah. was, was one of them. Uh, Haskell is another. And, and Erlang and Haskell are sort of my favorite um, two in terms of how they handle async, right? Which is that you don't think about it. Um, in, uh, they're, they're very similar in a sense. Um, the, the difference is Erlang is really based on this kind of fire and forget you know, message sending, with, and it's actor-based. Um, and in Haskell, it's a little bit more low level, and you have things like, sorry, it's both. You have things like um, STM, uh, MVARs, and and things like that. They're both incredibly well designed, but overall, um, 
the big difference with them is is essentially they use lightweight threads or, or green threads, right? Um, they um, uh, they don't make you think about which functions are async or not. Essentially, all I/O is async, right? Rust used to have an implementation with green threads, and then they decided. And I I don't I don't know if it was because it was a bit before my time in, in Rust. I don't know if it was because uh, they ditched the whole garbage collector and everything. That's why. Yeah, that's probably yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so they they went with their whole like zero cost thing. That's right. Um, you know, zero cost to the computer, but lots of cost to the, to the developer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the the async await syntax and everything. And um, I mean, it's pretty amazing what they managed to do from a technical standpoint. I think these these state machines that um, it's like single allocation and and extremely efficient. It's pretty amazing, but trying to use them, I think, um, like every experience I've had with with async REST has been pretty awful, and it's not really um, the fault of the language. I think it's it's more the fragmentation of the ecosystem, and maybe the fact that async REST came late in the game. Maybe not late enough, but definitely not soon enough either. Um, where you know, there, there's like different types of futures now. There's um, God damn it. incompatibility between runtimes. There's like, there's like people, like, like you're going to hear things like, um, it's like, oh, you have, you're already using Tokyo. It's fine. You can, you can also use async standard and just have both runtimes. It works fine. No. You know, and you're like, um, just freaking out. So, yeah. And, and I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot of other issues like, um, not going to get into the details, but uh, um, all of the, the, the standard library traits are incompatible with async. So like IO write, IO read, can't use that. You have to use the async read, async write. So you have two completely different languages in one. And, and this is really unfortunate for, for Rust. I'm, I'm hoping that either a solid non-async ecosystem uh, develops or, or keeps developing, or that the, the, the community really pulls together and, and manages to, to make this into an enjoyable experience. Dude, I entirely agree with your, your assessment of this thing. It's like every single time I decide to, you know, I sort of wake up one morning and I've, I've just forgotten, I've, I've licked my wounds, my wounds have healed. I thought, you know, let, let, me, let me try a little bit of async. I start, and then all of a sudden it just goes everywhere, like this yeah. freaking virus. And then before you know it, I'm like, okay, I have to pull all this shit out. Um, it just... Ah, that's the reason why I pulled it out last time. Okay, right. um, and and as for the as for the yeah, it's not. I don't think it is a language thing. It it's very much a, a sort of like a, the community mm. is shattered and scattered, and and everyone sitting in their own camps, you know, trying you know squatting on their own little ideas and thinking this is the way forward, and 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 it's just it's just becoming a bit of a hell for for the the general user. Um, it's like almost like the Rust language has become schizophrenic now. Uh, you've yeah. got your, your yeah, ASIC yeah. stuff and you've got your, your, your threaded stuff down the line. And, and honestly, and, and, and it's also starting to leak over, hey? It's starting to leak over. This ASYNC stuff is starting to leak over into the, the, the pure um, uh, threaded land, which is... Yeah. And also, ASYNC is a bit slow. It's just slow. Have, you, mean, have it, you done measurements of that? Yeah, it's, it's slower than threads for a lot of workloads. Oh. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's. I think the the way I think of it is, if if you're going to be handling 
10,000 plus connections at once, then use async rest. Otherwise, use threads. Mm -hmm. um, I have a, a, an ex-colleague um, who's the, uh, the author of the SLED library. Ah, yes. Uh, yeah, Space Jam. Oh, oh, I used his stuff. Um, Space yeah. Jam's cool dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, I so actually he, want to chat with him, actually. <laughs> he's the only um, other experienced developer I know in, in, in the Rust community who's against who's mostly against uh, async await. It's interesting. It's, it's not a popular opinion uh, at all. Um, and he's very, very adamant to, um, I think, I think SLED is compatible with both threaded and, uh, and, and async. Um, but he's, he's a, a, a threads guy. And he, he basically says, yeah, like, unless you're going to implement a load balancer, there's no real good reason to use async rest. And it's kind of just a cargo culting, right? Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I very much agree. Uh, it's, it, it brings, it brings in a whole other slew of problems with it. Once you bring on async, um, and you chose Crossbeam for your, for your channels. Yeah. yeah it, it was at the time it was really the only option I would say, um, Crossbeam is one of the most amazing or the Crossbeam tools of, or set of libraries is one of the most amazing libraries in, in the Rust uh, ecosystem, mm -hmm. I think. Um, it's very unfortunate that uh, um, the, the author and maintainer basically quit Rust completely. Um, Wait, I wasn't think that Burnt Sushi? Burnt Sushi? No, 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 it's not Burnt Sushi. It's uh, 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 Stefan or Stepan um, Galvina, I think. Oh, wasn't, he, wasn't he like sort of uh, because he was using uh, he was unsafe code? No, no, no. So he he was behind uh, the the small runtime. It was called SMOL, um, oh, and also async standard, async SCD, like the the yeah. alternative to Tokyo. Um, he he built out all of that ecosystem, and um, I think I think they got a lot of hate, especially directed towards him. I don't quite understand why, but something to do with creating a com competitor to Tokyo, maybe or. I didn't quite follow what was going on, but he burnt out and um, and just disappeared. And yeah. he, was, he, he, he was the maintainer and creator of, of Crossbeam and and all all of those libraries. So it's it's very sad because he was also one of the <laughs> the few proponents left of uh, threaded um, runtimes. Or, or, yeah. Uh, well, I suppose an unpopular opinion I have is that uh, <clears throat> Rust is a, a SJW lang. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to get canceled. I'm going to get canceled. <laughs> but yeah, we we can move on from that. But now so so now there's an alternative called uh Flume. I don't know. F L U M E, I think. Uh which is very similar to Crossbeam channel actually. Um and uh yeah, the maintainer is great and uh it's it's a bit less known, but um, it's quite promising. What advantages does it have over Crossbeam? Oh, well, oh, it doesn't use any unsafe. So that was one of the... I think that was the chap that was being, uh, 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 you know, people... Wasn't he also the guy behind that um, actor model thing, that um, Tower? I think it's Tower. Maybe. Uh, tower is like a, the Tokyo project, no? No, Actix. Actrix. Actix. 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 Was yeah, he the same guy? That. 
No, no, no. Actis, act, actics is another story, another controversial uh, story. See what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Plume. Let me see. Um, it's a um, Zestager. Yeah. I don't know what his real name is. Do I? Um, uh, yeah, Joshua Barreto. Yeah. So he, yeah, he created, what else did he create? Flume. I think Flume is his most famous library, actually. Um, but yeah, it doesn't use any unsafe, whereas Crossbeam Channel uses a lot of unsafe. Um, which, you know, I mean, I guess I guess for certain use cases, like, like I have someone right now who wants to put Nakamoto inside a sort of enclave type thing, like a secure. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. And That's actually, quite wild. It is pretty wild, but actually the only thing stopping them is a uh, crossbeam channel. Oh, yeah. And the reason for that is I, I think the unsafe and the, the kind of gymnastics it does internally. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I found that gymnastics to be very, very useful. I suppose, wait, it's not good for um, um, uh, no STD, right? Right. Yeah. Ah, so. I see. I think so. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I actually tried swapping out crossbeam channel with flume when flume came out and everything just worked. It was sort of a drop in replacement. Yeah. So, okay. but flume is, um, no SDD compatible. I don't know, actually. Um, but the fact that crossbeam channel is no longer really actively maintained I and mean, they, they, there is someone sort of maintaining it, but you know, the author is no longer maintaining it. I don't know how long this library will exist for. Okay. So, All right. Keep in mind. Well, you've, you've, you've put a little warning red flag over there for me. I, I shall also, uh, small red flag. Yeah. Just a small one. Yeah. I shall also be aware of that because yeah. you know, I'm, I'm using cross beam channel like everywhere within yeah. what I'm doing. Um, okay. Uh, step back. Okay. Yeah. Back onto the Nakamoto stuff. So, um, okay. So threaded and using cross beam. That's a design decision. Yeah. Continue. So the 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 single threadedness was also partly to, I I just don't like the idea so much of a library that spawns threads left and right without the user's consent. Um, Is that so? I don't know why. Like I just feel like it's something that should be in control of the user. Like where where code is running, basically which threads. Yeah, that's why you put comments uh, around certain function. You say this this function is designed to be run in its own thread. Yeah, exactly. But it's, I don't run it for you in its own thread. I know. I know. I noticed that, and I was like, oh, that's so polite of you. <laughs> and so there's only one such function, which is the the run function that essentially starts the the network reactor and and, and the protocol and everything. By the way, uh, talking about the network reactor, mm -hmm. I notice I notice uh, you, you don't make any decisions about the networking too, which is which I yes. find really really polite of you too. I'm very polite. <laughs> what's the decision? What's the decision going on here? Yeah, so so this was an interesting one, and partly so first of all, it was possible because of of the thing I talked about earlier, where the protocol is deterministic. Right, so the core, yeah. like ninety-five percent of the lines of code in Nakamoto, do not do any I/O, and do not have any non-determinism. Right, the only I/O is contained in the reactor, which is in its own crate, and it's about it's under a thousand lines of code, and that does all of the I/O. It even manages time, so timeouts and things like that. So, 
that that was possible and even easy due to the the current design. Um, but I was also thinking, well, you know, what if someone wants to use Nakamoto in a sort of high performance environment, right? They might want to have a multi-threaded runtime, right, or net networking stack. They might want to use async for their networking stack. Um, they might want to do things like that, right? And um, and so this is why I, I split it out that way. Um, if you want to um, develop a higher performance networking core, then you can, and it's just uh, a matter of implementing a trait, basically. Okay. So so basically, I can sort of like, I, I don't know how to do this yet, but I can probably take your traits and then tack them onto my networking protocol, mm -hmm. basically. And then um, then Nakamoto doesn't actually give a damn about how it gets the data. It just gets the data. Exactly. You just feed it the, the messages it receives from the network, and it feeds you the messages you should send back to the network. So it's a kind of pure state machine. Yeah. Right? It has inputs and outputs, and... Uh, and that's it. Yeah, this is yeah, this is yeah, that's great. And and to be honest, I mean, it's it also comes from this this idea of of just use like reusability and, and usefulness. Like if you're gonna like sink in um, a year of your life or whatever building a piece of software, um, you don't know what people are gonna use it for, what use cases are out there, and and so trying to make it to, to kind of maximize its utility by saying like, hey, if you don't want to use this part, you don't have to use this part. Or if you just want to use this part, you can just use this part, right? Um, because I mean, that's, it's, you know, the future is unpredictable. Maybe it turns out that um, the current configuration of, of modules and, and crates that I've designed is not the way, it doesn't work, you know, and, and people um, only find one of those modules or, or crates useful and then it can live on in, in that form you know it doesn't have to be all or nothing yeah 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 M makes complete sense um i notice also in your in your in the in the test directory basically you've implemented what looks to be like a watered down implementation of bitcoin like as as it is like the whole thing is that um correct like you do that you do like a mock mock of the the mm -hmm of the uh, the difficulty, you know, solving the difficulty and all of that stuff, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the, the um, so header, header verification um, is all implemented for reals, right? It's like, it's not a mock, it's like it, you know, it, it, it works correctly and it, and it verifies everything that can be verified with headers. Um, but this is where this idea of model checking comes into play, which is the idea that um, if you want to test a very complex system that needs to be optimized for speed, and so its complexity will come from its optimizations. Um, but the the actual principle of that system is simple to explain. Um, you can use a technique called model checking, and and this is um, this is exactly the case for um, chain selection. So if I try to explain chain selection to you, um, I can explain it quite simply. It's um, uh, take all of the potential chains and all of the potential blocks that you have, right, in memory, like this, it's a, it's a tree, let's say, because um, the, the orphan ones, we can't use them. So you have this tree. Calculate the difficulty of every single potential chain within that tree and pick the longest chain. 
right? It's pretty simple to explain. It's just check, like check all possible chains within the tree and pick the longest one in terms of, of work. But if you try to implement this naively like that, it's very expensive, right? Because um, imagine you have like a lot of different blocks and chains and 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 and, uh, and branches in all kinds of places. Um, every time you you receive a new block, you would have to check all of those trees again against the the new chain or um, right like where that block can fit and and, and so on. Um, and so implementing implementing it um, correctly is easy. Implementing it uh, <laughs> correctly and fast is hard. And so what, what you do with model checking is you, you have a model, which is the kind of naive, slow implementation, which you know is correct. And it's literally like 20 lines of code, I think, um, in, in, the, in the, the model I, I've implemented. Um, and you have your production implementation that's 10 times the size, but probably full of bugs in the beginning. And you run the same inputs in both the model and the real thing, and you check that the outputs match, right? And um, and if they don't match, you say, hey, the model gave this result, but the, the production implementation gave this other result. And then you, the developer, <laughs> figure out why it gave the wrong result, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and this works really well for chain selection. Um, if, if you look at the, the model, it literally just, um, recomputes the longest chain from scratch every time a new block comes in, which is prohibitively expensive, but it's so simple, right? To You can look at the code and you're like, yeah, this is correct, right? Because it's it's really just calculating everything from scratch every time a block comes in. Um, the, the the real thing, though, is, is very complicated because doing it that way would be, uh, the, the way the model does it would be too slow. Um, and and this is what this is what that is, that... Uh, that code you're referring to. Right, 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 right. Um, okay. Uh, should we go back to the, the bit where we, uh, where we, the thread and the, the cross beam stuff and then continue explaining mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Nakamoto? I mean, I think, I don't think you're, you're done. There's still quite a long way to go. <laughs> um, well, what did I not talk about? Um, so, yeah, the, the, the protocol is, is basically, or the, the implementation is split up in, in a bunch of, of manager uh, crates, not crates, sorry, manager modules um, within the peer-to-peer -peer protocol. Um, so there's there's one of them that takes care of uh, synchronization, like header sync, one of them that takes care of peers, uh, so peer handshake, peer management. There's a connection manager that um, tries to maintain a certain uh, number of, of connections at all times. There's an address manager that um, is there to, to essentially provide good addresses to the connection manager, right? So there's this whole thing. Uh, there's uh, these types of attacks in, in Bitcoin called Eclipse attacks um, and others where, um, uh, you know, you can, you can flood a peer with addresses you control um, and then sort of eclipse that peer from a view of the network that is more realistic or more accurate by, by only having them connect to your addresses, right? Um, so to prevent that, Bitcoin implemented this, uh, it's called the stochastic address uh, manager or whatever. Um, and, and the idea of stochastic just means random, essentially. Um, 
the idea is you split addresses in these buckets of, of IPs, um, and you you when you need new addresses to connect to, you pick um, from different buckets, and this kind of guarantees a sort of geo distribution of addresses you're connecting to, right? So that you don't mistakenly, um, right? Like if if I like a thousand of your addresses are under the one six eight point four point five um, subnet. Um, that's impossible, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, but keep going. I got uh, you. I got your, I got your example there. The, the random, uh, choice will, will end up being biased towards that, um, subnet. Right. And so you'll end up connecting to an attacker potentially. So splitting things up in buckets, um, uh, prevents that. Uh, so there's an implementation of that, that I basically, um, uh, stole from Bitcoin core. Um, and then there's the, the filter implementation, which yeah, we haven't talked much about how uh, client-side filtering works with uh, BIP157 and A, um, which, which I can go into. Yeah, let's do that. Um, cool. Um, so just have a sip. Hmm? <laughs> yeah, have some more. Have some more. I mean, don't. don't, mm. don't... <clears throat> I mean, indulge. <laughs> <laughs> Um, sorry. So, the um, <clears throat> the idea with uh, with BIP one five seven and eight. So there, there are two BIPs. First of all, because the first one is the the general sort of protocol for um, client side filtering, and the second BIP one five eight is about the specific filter used, uh, which is called Golomb Rice encoding. Well, it's yeah, said the, the the name of the filter type, Skolom Rice, and uh, and that's a specific filter that is used in the implementations, right? And and these these filters, we talked about Bloom filters. They're they're very similar to Bloom filters. They have a sort of different construction, but they have the same general properties, which is that um, you can compress a lot of data in them. They have uh, false positives sometimes. They never have false negatives, and uh, um, they uh, the the parameters for them were designed based on the entire set of blocks from Genesis to have the smallest amount of false positives possible. So I think it's something like one percent um, chances that you, a, a filter will match, um, and it'll turn out to be bunk to have nothing of interest in there. So so you have these filters and you have the protocol, and, and the way the protocol works is that um, so. This, this had to be backwards compatible, mind you. So the, there's some efficiencies that were not um, uh, aff uh, afforded. So what it does is you essentially, so you know have you, you have your, your block header chain. So here you have a new chain um, of headers, which is a, a filter header chain. Um, and these are uh, essentially um, hashes of hashes. So each filter um, so first of all, the, the filters are created from the blocks, right? So if you have a block, you can create a filter. And a filter is about maybe two kilobytes or something like that, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and each filter has also a filter header, which is actually just a hash. And these filter uh, header headers um, are hashed with the previous filter header to create the next one, et cetera, right? And so you have this chain. Oh. Yeah. So you have this chain of hashes, um, which are actually uh, the the hash of the filter 
hashed with the previous filter hash, okay? And when a client connects, what it does is first it fetches those uh, filter headers. Well, first it fetches the block headers, and once it has the block headers, it can request the, the filter headers for a range of blocks. Once it has the filter headers, um, it fetches the actual filters. So it's like, okay, I want the filters for, for these filter headers. It, of course, makes sure that they match, so that they hash to the, the filter header. Once it has the filters, it can actually check whether a filter matches one of uh, its addresses. Okay, and, and to do that, it, it, uh, it plays it. Um, no, it just, um, it, um, so, so the, the, the way the filters are constructed is that all of the transaction outputs are essentially included in the filter. Um, ah, okay. Yeah. And so what you do is you say, okay, does, is, is, does this output figure in the filter, right? Does this output match the filter? Yes or no. If no, try the next outputs. You try all of your, your outputs, your addresses or your, whatever you're looking at for a match. If there is a match, you request the full block from the network, right? So you, you ask a random peer for the full block. They don't know why you're interested in that block, right? That's kind of the privacy preserving thing is that yeah. your transaction is maybe one of the ones in the block that doesn't say much, right? Okay. So you request a full block and then you actually just scan it client side. You're like, okay, which ones are the transactions that matched? Maybe there's none, 1% chance, but usually you'll have one of you'll have a transaction that pays into one of your addresses in that block, right? And then you can update your UTXO side, you can update your balance, you can do whatever you want, right? So that's generally the, the idea. It's, it's quite a complex protocol for, in the end, just fetching a block. <laughs> but um, but I didn't implement the, the previous one, which apparently was even more complex. So I, I think because of the statefulness of it, where you had to set a filter on a, on a, on a remote node and, and do things like that. But. I mean, that complexity is allowing allowing a lot of space saving, which is absolutely required yeah. for for things like mobile mobile devices and yeah. whatnot. So you know, something's got to give. So you've got to shunt you've got to shunt that off onto onto um, like a like a like a, a, a client machine to to, yeah. to do that. Where where processing power is cheap, really. That's so. Yeah, I think it's no, okay. Yeah. The, the, the good thing is the filters only need to be computed once for each yeah. block, whereas with the previous um, spec, um, I guess you, you had a filter de depending on the transactions you were interested in, right? So here, there's only one filter ever per block, right? Okay. Um, you have the privacy benefits, which increases the complexity a little bit, and you have the benefit of um, parallelization because since you get the filter header chain first, you can then fetch the filters in parallel. Um, that helps. You still need to usually process them in order, but you can at least fetch them in parallel. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty well thought out, but the reason I, I had my disclaimer in the beginning about efficiency is that if they had done, if, if they had done a, I don't know if it's possible with the, with a, um, with a soft fork, maybe not, but um, if they had included the filter header, hash or the filter hash in the block header um, oh. would have simplified things a lot. You've even got, you just got your pointer right there. Yeah. Because um, one of the, one of the complexities with the current system is that actually you can easily get Sybil attacked 
um, due to the fact that there's no relation, no direct relation between the header chain and the filter header chain, right? Which means that a, a peer could serve you an invalid um, filter header chain. And the only way to know that is by getting the block, getting a block and computing the filter yourself locally and checking it against the filter that peer served you. Okay, yeah. You see, because the the yeah, the, that, that's I think this is definitely a backward compatibility thing. This is yeah, 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 yeah. It's obviously not easy to add anything to the Bitcoin header, um, but if they could add it via a soft fork, it would be amazing because then um, it would be much more secure, right? You could just if if a peer gives you a filter, you you just check it against the the block header. Yeah, You're, you know it's it's, it's secure. Yeah. Right. What's your opinion on on the latest? Um, okay, so the the the, the block size wars mm. has made everybody ever so hesitant about um, accepting changes into into mm. into um, into Bitcoin, which which I think is quite disappointing because because you know like you know so, oh, I, I, I just, I'm just going to say it like like non non developers who have financial incentive maybe might do like psychopathic moves. And then deliberately stir up a bunch of fuss and kick up a bunch of bother, um, which just can, which which just makes unnecessary stress. So that programmers and 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 the community associated were just like oh, dig in the heels. Yeah. And as a result, you know, do you think that? Do you think that? I I don't know. I I suspect that Bitcoin is going to be worse off for it, because I went into one of these groups and I spoke about something, and, and they were like. You know, they 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 sort of like dissented with this um, with this uh, sort of like toxic masculine uh, maximalism sort of thing, and and I very ha very quickly had to sort of prove myself to them. Basically, that got them to sort of shut up. Um, but um, but can you imagine somebody somebody who's not as 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 thick skin as I am? They they would just be shut shouted down. They're gone. Do you see what I mean? And all those yeah, potentially yeah. good ideas are now gone. Yeah, no, it's it's unfortunate. The, the the thing though is, I mean, I I feel like the the Bitcoin community and especially the core devs are um, a very mixed bunch. You know, you, mm -hmm. you definitely have the the maxis, but you definitely have some very open minded people in there too. Um, that's the one thing. The other thing is, you know, Bitcoin is is already pretty amazing as it is. Like what it what it created. We're, we're forgetting that maybe in a way that's already enough, right? Of a mm -hmm. revolution, if, if it gets adopted. Um, not to say that we shouldn't do more, but just to say that, you know, a, a lot of the work left is actually getting this thing adopted and used um, mm -hmm. and, and easy to use just as a, as, a, as a currency or as a store of value or um, as a payment it's network. It's not gonna be that, it's not gonna be that yet. Um, as a settlement layer, yes, mm -hmm. but it needs to be, a there needs to be like a basically a default sort of like a transactional layer. Um, yeah, I mean, lightning is is what people are pushing, right? <laughs> say again. No, lightning is what what you know core devs are pushing. Um, but maybe a, um, a more direct answer to your to your question. Um, I, I think there's there's a fair bit of work happening on layer two and three. Um, that is pretty promising in terms of, of extending Bitcoin. Okay. Right. Like in, Let's in go into that. Let's go into that little conversation there. Yeah. So like with, with Taproot around the corner already, um, we're increasing the 
um, capabilities of the base layer. Um, that was a huge thing, you know, and, and that's actually, that's landing and, and it's going to be amazing. Um, I'm not like an expert in, in, in Taproot, but I've read some really interesting things around um, uh, what you can do with uh, oracles or with uh, this, this masked thing where you can create an abstract syntax tree of your, of your script and hide different parts of it and activate them when, when a, a transaction is received. Um, there's definitely interesting things like that. And um, with the, what is it called? The, um, uh, these, uh, what are these? Schnorr signatures. No, no, no. The, 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 the oracles that are, that have been used uh, on, on Bitcoin. The, um, uh, um, shit, I don't remember the name of this. Um, you don't, you don't know what I'm talking about? Uh, the, the discrete um, discrete log contracts. No, I don't. I don't know this. So it's it's a, it's a form of um, uh, of smart contract um, on Bitcoin where you actually it's sort of um, it uses an oracle that is off chain essentially uh, that the participants of the um, in the contract choose together, right? So it, let's say like you and me. Um, decide that some third party is going to be the, the oracle and the decider. And we come, we make an agreement on chain. And then this third party after a certain block height or whatever can um, post a result on chain in the form of a hash or, or whatever. And um, it, so you could use it for a bet. You could use it for um, some kind of prediction or things like that. So these are, these are called discrete log contracts, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so, 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 so basically this, this, it's, it can be an escrow kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can, and, you can, yeah. And, you can do and things. is it, is it, does it introduce a new address type in there, which is basically like a, like a hash time lock contract, you know, um, is it like a new address type? I'm not sure actually how it works. I just know that it's already compatible with, uh, okay. with Bitcoin that it can already be done. Um, so it's not, it's, it, it's just kind of a, a new way of using, um, Bitcoin scripts. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and, and with things like, uh, like RGB that I mentioned earlier, um, and colored coins. And I mean, they're doing uh, some pretty interesting stuff. I've At invited point, the author of, of RGB, but he yeah. ghosted me. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I don't think I'm famous enough to be uh, to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> but maybe you could go and describe what RGB is. I mean, again, I'm I'm like really my knowledge knowledge of it is very superficial. Okay. Um, I just have a kind of cursory understanding that um, it, it's an it's an off chain or a layer two smart contract system. Right. Um, where uh, which but it's which a custodian, may... right? No. No, it, it's it should be peer to peer, from my understanding. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, it has it has multiple layers. It's it's a fairly complex system, and I think one of the problems is is just the fact that it's it's just not been implemented. So it's like there's all this uh, um, uh, there's a lot of inventions or, or or potential there, but not enough people to actually implement these things and and project product productize them or productionize them. Right. Um, even if you look at Lightning, it's still, um, you know, the Rust implementation is still in the making. 
Um, there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been that's hasn't been implemented yet. Um, it's it's interesting because there's there's a lot of there are a lot of specs out there like the stuff you're working on the drive chains or the the, the hash escrows or all those things are like super interesting ideas and it's not that it's not that people yeah it's not that people don't find them interesting or or, or valuable it's that no one has a time plus ability to implement these things correctly they're very complicated right yeah <laughs> it's like just just even the sort of like understanding the basics of uh of drive like i mean i i wouldn't have gotten into drive chains had i not seen somebody tweet about you know bib 300 right, that i yeah. went into it i'm like oh my god this actually solves the, this problem that i want to do with bitcoin which is to solve the fungibility issue right uh -huh. and um and and but it opened up so much more because it became a confluence of of another thing I wanted to do, which was uh, this this lightning concept. Mm -hmm. But then, like the current lightning, as we as as is directly on the main chain, it's it's not going to be able to lift up the entire humanity onto onto mm -hmm. the second layer. It's just not going to happen because there's not enough block space to do all that. Even Second, if every transaction is a is a lightning channel open or close. Exactly, and, and it just can't handle that. You just yeah. can't. It's not possible to handle this. So it's gonna have it's gonna have centralization effect because mm. it's gonna be like then it's gonna definitely become a custodian solution. Mm -hmm. That's no different from uh, a Twitter, Facebook, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, concepts. I mean, um, uh, centralization. Mm -hmm. Also, it's 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 a no it's a no a no go for me because. It's very easy for a state actor to sort of like, you know, intercept their entire country and just say mandate to every ISP, you need to reallocate the IP addresses of everybody every day. What's going to happen? All those lightning contracts are just going to die. They're all just mm -hmm. going to fall out the trees. And it's just going to be extremely costly for, for everybody to, to, to set up and tear down contracts um, and, and run business as is. You cannot do this. It's, it's like, to me, it's retarded. I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being a little bit too. I don't know. Maybe you can, you can call me on this. <laughs> Am I being retarded? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the the um, I thought the principle was that you could have hierarchies of of channels and and you could um, uh, like it. You didn't have to directly use block space. You could have a sort of tree like structure where. Um, you know, a, a, a lightning network could be on the fourth or fifth layer and they could borrow liquidity from one layer up sort of thing. And then eventually you'd end up in the base layer. I don't know if that's possible today, but, um, hang about. So let me, let me understand what you, let me repeat. So, and then you correct me. So basically, um, maybe there would be like a huge, large, uh, a few large, high liquidity um, mm -hmm. um, actors and exactly. they would form the backbone they then set up um, uh, peering contracts with each other and it might be maybe 50 maybe 100 maybe 10,000 bitcoin um, yeah. um, that 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 goes between these things and then you go to one of these centralized right. actors and then uh, 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 set up a, a, a exactly. contract from there but like how do you do that do you see what i mean like i'm on their system they have control over my contract how, how are you going to do like recursive 
How are you going to do layered contracts? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think you can. You don't think this is possible? Not in the current model, no. Because if, um, if all channels need to be opened on the base layer, then I agree it's not going to scale. But if you can somehow say, okay, um, I'm going to open a channel, I'm going to sort of, um, yeah, escrow with uh, a third-party provider that it doesn't have to be a specific one. I could just pick one at random, even, that has enough liquidity. Um, they, they take my risk. I take counterparty risk also. Um, and then once enough um, channels have settled on their side, they can settle on the main chain, right? So maybe this is not possible with, uh, with the current Lightning protocol. But I, I imagine that that would be the way forwards. Yeah. So this is how I sort of came into um, um, Paul Storch's um, drive chain concept because yeah. because he's got something called Thunder. Now Thunder basically, it's 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 a it's a blockchain which is specifically designed to be one hundred percent designed and engineered for Lightning. But then you might start off with like a maybe a a, a, a big block on a side chain. Mm -hmm. Which is not, it's not a controversial thing. No. So already you've got like 10 megabytes on a side chain, um, which you can lift up a large amount of, of people into that. And you've still got your lightning uh, facility, or it might be like, for example, uh, thunder.asia. Um, and then maybe America goes first with a 10 megabyte, and then Asia goes second with a, with mm -hmm. a, a 20 megabyte. And then somebody else comes up with a, 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 a thousand uh, a gigabyte. Uh, um, uh, block size that will allow you to really lift up a lot of people and, and they're all just set up and tear down uh, channel channel creation contracts um, and of course if you wanted to go to the United States from Asia you would you would you would close out one of the contracts uh, collapse down to Bitcoin main chain open up a, a, a contract in the United States and then set up a um, uh, something over there but that's that's I mean that's an escrow. It's a hash rate escrow uh, uh, thing. You were you were mentioning you know using yeah. a centralized actor, which would be a custodian. But whereas in in the drive chain drive chain concept, it's it's using the miners essentially as the custodian. You know, it's like this uh, this is sort of like a trickle down over three months, and the, and then the miners can sort of vote on it. And even then, there's it's uh, miners sort of competing with each other to mm -hmm. to get this thing. So there's a element of security. Uh, um, associated there so you know it's like yeah I, i'm yeah I, it sounds like this this kind of direction is something that seems more i don't know valid anyway i i think yeah, i feel like yeah. i'm getting onto a bit of a rant here <laughs> no but I, but but this is what i mean there's there's so much potential and so many so many valid I'll ideas out there um mm -hmm. sorry the connection's breaking up Hello. Hello. Okay. Yeah. Please repeat. Yeah, I was just saying this is what I mean. There, there's so many valid and interesting ideas out there. It's just there's not enough bandwidth to implement them. Ah. Uh, because I, I, I do think I, I do. I'm very optimistic about Bitcoin um, evolving, and and it's because I don't necessarily think the base layer needs to evolve for Bitcoin to evolve. Right. Um, I, I'm I'm more on the conservative side in terms of the base layer. I think 
there cannot be any fly in there or any bug or, you know, like it's, it's extremely critical. So we, we shouldn't be adding things on there. We should be, it should only contain what is necessary for all of the complexity we want on the other layers on, on layer two and three and whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I agree or, with you. Yeah. Um, and, and this is kind of the opposite approach of what Ethereum took, um, which, you know, is why it's like impossible to implement a, an Ethereum full node, or it's like a insanely complicated, um, it's insanely, it's insanely expensive and, um, yeah, there's, there's endless issues. I like to joke with my friends. It's, uh, it's another one of these, uh, my first byte code, uh, <laughs> Like, um, uh, uh, like a compiler, basically, or, or interpreter. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's kind of funny. You know, it's like when you look at the when you look at that yellow paper, you're just like, "What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> I mean, it's actually amazing that it works. Like, <laughs> when when like just imagine reading the the yellow paper before Ethereum was launched, and then looking at Ethereum today, you're like, "What? This actually they built it." And it works <laughs> like it's insane. It's completely against everything we've been taught in computer science in a sense, like, like having this massive global shared lock, right? The state, like a single computer running everyone's code. It's insane, but, but it's, yeah, it's funny. It's, it's in a way part of the beauty of it because every contract can call every other contract on Ethereum, but it's part of the, the insanity of it also. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad it exists, but let's see how long they they can, uh, they can keep it up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, anyway, um, yeah. Okay, so so you've also got this other project that you sort of work on. Mm -hmm. It's a um, uh, I, I saw the the website, and there's mm -hmm. like a bunch of flowers and stuff on there. I must admit, you've got a you've got a you've got a real taste for the design. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I. I I've been, or I, I was an artist at a certain point in time, oh. um, or at least what, what, what was your art. What was your medium? Was it paint or? Um, it was ink, actually, ink, black, black and white, black and white, minimalistic. Um, but I have I have some stuff uh, online. If you go on my uh, my website, you can you can find what, it. Don't you have any pictures near you that you can sort of like just show us right oh, now? Physical physical <laughs> yeah. pictures. Um, no. Actually, oh, well, you gave uh, them to all your girlfriends or, or, exactly. or boyfriends. I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I, I have them. Uh, I have them stored uh, safely. Okay. Okay. Um, but I have a bunch of stuff online also um, on my website. There's a you can click on drawings under cloudhead.io. Uh -huh, uh -huh. um, so, so did you design all of the website and all of the drawings on your website too? No. So, I mean, on, on my personal website, yes, it's, it's okay. online. Um, I think though you're, you're referring to radical, um, that's the one I'd rather project with the, with the flowers. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that is, uh, that is something I've been working on for three years now. Um, and it's like a proper, you know, a proper job product. A, is it a company? Product, is it your funding. company or? Yeah. So we, we had a company, um, now it's, um, turned into a, a nonprofit and, uh, um, we, uh, I mean, we're essentially trying to decentralize code collaboration. So the, the 
it's kind of taking on GitHub, GitLab, um, and to 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 provide a code collaboration without a centralized platform. Um, and and part of the the goals there are about security. Um, part of the goals are also about just again freedom and uh, uh, bringing control back to the users. Um, and and as a as a developer, um, I use GitHub all the time, every day. Um, it's actually a really good product, thankfully. Um, but after the Microsoft acquisition, I think I, um, I mean, we actually started it before that, but after, after the acquisition, I was kind of like, yeah, okay, this is, this is going to start going downhill. Um, and, um, it's just a flip switch. Yeah. And I mean, then you don't, then you, then your account is closed. Goodbye. You're gone. Pretty much. Forever. That's a scary bit. Yeah. Like, like accounts being 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 terminated on GitHub, on Instagram, on YouTube, like especially people making a living on these platforms, uh, getting yeah. deplatformed. That's awful, but it's also kind of like, I, I, I feel bad for these people. I also don't feel bad because I'm like, you, you knew, knew that, coming, you right? knew the consequences. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, if it happens to me, I'm gonna feel bad for myself. <laughs> um, even as someone who knows very well that, that it could happen and that I use GitHub for a lot of my work um, and Twitter also. So, you know, I've moved, I've not moved, I've gotten an account on Mastodon now. So I have some some presence there in case my Twitter gets banned for whatever reason. It's gonna happen, it's just a matter of when. Um, and on GitHub, uh, GitHub I think I'm safe for a little bit longer. I don't know. You don't sound very controversial when I read your tweets and whatnot. No, not much but I, I try. I really try to be PC because I know, like, I, like it's you can you just cannot speak your mind on the internet anymore. You know, like, yeah. um, whether it's it's for fear of being deplatformed or canceled or whatever it is, the the environment has become very conservative in a way. Like you have yeah. to, you have to really mind what what you say and the way you say it. Um, but I, I have very controversial opinions, but I, I try and like, hopefully they don't come out because, uh, um, <laughs> you know, it'd be the end of me. Um, would it, but would it really, I mean, you think so? Is it that controversial? No, no it's, <laughs> but that's the thing. It's that it, it doesn't take much right yeah. on the internet these days. You yeah. say something slightly wrong or slightly upsets somebody or a certain group of people or, or whatever. And, and yeah. you're done for, you know? you're, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so, okay. I'm, I'm generally careful with, uh, with what I say online. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so this, this project anyway is, um, has been in, in, in the making for a while. We have a, a really, really cool, um, peer to peer protocol built on top of Git. Did you design it? No, one of our engineers designed it. Um, and, uh, are you VC funded or, or how did it work? No, I, you, if you, if you, if you're a nonprofit. Yeah, so, so originally, yeah, originally we were VC funded. Okay. Um, and we were, I mean, it was never for profit in the sense that the goal from the get go was never to, to build a company. It was always to decentralize things and to create an economy around it. Um, uh, but originally the, the funding was, was VC and now we did a, a crowdfunding also as well. So now we have still a bit of uh, VC money and we have money from, uh, from that crowdfund. Okay, so that's um, where the salaries are being earned from, right? Yeah, and so this is what this is how we're using Ethereum, for example. It's to to manage that crowdfunded money, and eventually to 
kind of control the the resources and capital and, and all of that. So, oh, so, so it's like a D DAO, a DAO. Yeah, it's, like, it's a DAO, exactly. That's okay. kind of our, our, we already have the DAO, but we're still sort of, um, we also have the foundation and uh, in the next two, three years, we plan on moving most of the operations to the DAO. I'm quite curious to know your experience uh, with setting up, running and designing yeah. and uh, thinking about how psychopaths can exploit yeah. Uh, this DAO, etc. What's the what's the what's the mm. thought process behind that? That's that's a whole conversation by itself. <laughs> yeah, I mean the yeah, um, the idea of DAOs is is pretty fascinating to me um, because again again it's 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 about bringing uh, um, bringing power back to to individual people, right, um, and away from the state. Um, so when when you have a an organization of people that is you know, cross-border, international, um, maybe some people anonymous, some not anonymous. Um, why should you start a company? You know, it doesn't make sense. Where is that company going to reside? Under what jurisdiction, right? Um, there's also all kinds of questions that, that it brings up that are unnecessary, right? Um, that, that get in the way of, of just um, coordinating amongst peers, right? Um, and if that coordination doesn't entail any money, then fine. Just create a GitHub account. You're still going to have to figure out who owns the account. Big deal. You can you can get over that, um, and you know, coordinate, do your work. But if um, if there's money involved, right? Because you're going to pay yourselves or whatever, you can't avoid the company thing, right? You're not going to have someone's personal bank accounts. Um, uh, having all of the, the, the capital, right? So you're going to start a company, you're going to have shareholders, et cetera. You're going to have a board. So this complexity is sort of inevitable as soon as there's money. And DAOs are a way of um, of solving this where they're a different approach to this problem. Um, and and it, you essentially have an internet company where you have a contract that controls the funds and you have addresses or accounts that control the contract, right? Um, and, and you can use it as a, as a coordination tool um, and you can use tokens to coordinate voting, right? Um, so uh, the, the, the sort of initial distribution of tokens determines the initial power, right? So it's the same thing as shareholders in a company. Um, and uh, you're talking about psychopaths. I guess, you know, you, you, need, you need to be... Um, you need to be watching out for who is going to be controlling these tokens or this voting power. In the beginning, it's easy. It's the founders, the team, the investors, right? But as this thing decentralizes more and more, um, it gets more and more unknown. And it's, it depends what community you're building essentially in the end, right? There's there's been there's a lot of research into alternative voting mechanisms, right? There's tons of research, but there hasn't really yet been something that is so obviously right that um, people are adopting it. Um, you know, of, of course, you can go for democracy, right? One person, one vote. It works. You know, you, you can argue it doesn't work, but it also you can argue that it does work. Um, the problem there is around identity, right? And around privacy. So if you have a democracy, it means that 
um, you need to identify every single person um, so that they can't vote twice. And, you know, the state can do that pretty well, but how is a DAO going to do that, right? Um, I, I tend to be more into the, the token voting, which is technically a plutocracy, which, you know, obviously has a lot of drawbacks, um, but at least it's privacy preserving to a certain extent. Um, and it's very um, straightforward to implement, to explain. Um, then, then there's there's um, there's things in between. There's there's interesting research around, for example, something called conviction voting, where you um, you put money down for a vote, um, but the longer you keep that money on that vote, the more it is worth, right? So if you're always waffling and changing your mind, then you can't really vote on anything. But if you're someone with less capital, less tokens in this case, um, but strong conviction. You can keep your vote for a long time, and it'll eventually compound in strength, right? But again, all research—it's kind of not clear yet or obvious what uh, what DAOs are going to look like in five years. Right. Okay. So, so within this organization, I suppose I don't want to ask too many. Uh, privacy, privacy, you know, <laughs> sort of revealing questions, but yeah. like, uh, how many, how many actors are 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 in this, or, or participants, and um, how long have you had this DAO uh, <laughs> set up? So the the DAO has been set up since uh, February, so this okay. year. Um, the I mean the if you count every token holder as a member of the DAO, which is definitely one way of counting things, it would be in the thousands. Um, if you counted more in terms of sort of core contributor to the project, it would be in the dozens. Um, to give you a, a, an idea, a rough idea. Um, and then they can earn they can earn equity by contributing code. Yeah, equity in the sense of these tokens. Exactly, that's kind of the idea. Um, we're still putting a lot of these schemes in place, um, but essentially the idea is that the DAO. Um, will be paying for contributions to the ecosystem uh, using its native token, but also using um, probably okay, so bounty through a process of bounties or bounties, something similar. Like exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then, and then, so what would motivate programmers to mm -hmm. uh, say, okay, well, okay, you got a token here. Mm -hmm. um, why is this valuable to me? Or they, or the, will they just ascribe value to it because they like the idea behind the project? Right. So there's a couple of things. I think, first of all, you would probably want to um, reward both with the, the voting token and some kind of stable coin, right? So that you, you're earning money and you're also earning voting power. You're earning both, right? That's the first thing. Um, the second thing, I guess, is that the voting power is... Um, is ownership, right? Like I, I can't vote on the GitHub board of directors, right? I can't vote against their new like AI based uh, um, yeah, code, code completion. Right? <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah, right. Exactly. Right? So, or or let's say they remove um, they remove some feature that I use. I can't vote against that. So, um, users don't have any control over their platforms. They can they can shout, they can scream, but they in the end don't control the platforms. So um, this is a way for, for users to control the platform, essentially. Um, 
Uh, it's also a way for users to benefit from the upside of these platforms, right? So, um, you know, I think Airbnb was talking about this at some point where they were thinking like, well, wouldn't it be great if hosts like Airbnb hosts could own Airbnb stock, right? Because they're contributing to Airbnb, yet Airbnb is making much more money off of their backs, right? So in the same way that like, you know, if you're a Google employee, you get Google stock so that you're not just getting a fixed salary, you're getting, you're also getting part of the upside of the company doing well, right? Um, so this, this concept, which is being called ownership economies now, um, is also a part of this and also really interesting. So if you've contributed to, um, to Radical, um, you should be able to benefit from Radical being successful in the future. I see. And, and yeah, obviously, like, you know, the, there has to be a, a kind of core interest in the project, right? You wouldn't just do it for the money or the influence. You, you would do it because you want, um, you know, a decentralized GitHub alternative to exist. And how far is this project along? Is it, it, it's all open source, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's all open source. Um, it's, you know, it's, we, we've been working on it for a couple of years now. So it's, in that respect, it's, for, it, it's pretty far along. We have um, a desktop client. We have a web client. Um, we have a protocol that's still pretty early, but, you know, it works. It's pretty, pretty uh, elaborate. Um, but I would say it's, it's still very, very early in the sense that you can't migrate off of GitHub yet. You can use it to distribute code, so to share code, to distribute it, sort of like as a, as a, you know, as a as a decentralized host, but not yet really as a decentralized code collaboration tool. Um, so more like BitTorrent for code, right? Um, so in that respect, it, it works fairly well, um, but there's a lot of work to do to. Um, implement things like issues and pull requests and things like that in a, in a peer-to-peer way, um, and 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 right now one of the one of the things we're really focusing on is um, uh, providing our version of, of orgs. So, um, you know, controlling code from a DAO from a you know we're, oh, we're a DAO. Right. That's There's an interesting DAO. idea. Hey, right. that's an interesting so, idea. Keep- yeah, I mean, think think of think of Bitcoin or Ethereum. You know. Who, who controls Bitcoin Core? Uh, that question keeps on being brought up, right? Um, we could really add a lot of transparency to this. Uh, and, and, and not only transparency, but security, right? Like on GitHub, you have an admin. Um, there's a super admin who can essentially kick out other admins. That's the model. Um, since it's centralized, a GitHub employee or a hacker, um, more likely a hacker, could um, you know change your code under under you, you wouldn't be able to, to know or to see, um, could impersonate any user, right? It's, it's really not secure if you think about it. Um, so, so, you know, Bitcoin, they have their own workflows that they, they essentially verify every commit locally to make sure it was signed by one of the core maintainers and stuff like that. But um, we're trying to provide this for free for everyone, right? So you don't, you don't need a special workflow. You just kind of out of the box know that, um, the, the master branch is verified by one of the core contributors, right? That they put their stamp on there, they signed it, that is legit, right? So the, this kind of infrastructure for, for, for teams or DAOs um, 
is is one of the things we're focusing on this year. Where are your where are your struggling points at the moment? Um, I would say um, there are a lot of moving parts, right? Like like when you have something like GitHub, it's just one thing where everything is you know they have, just have a big database and a front end and it just all works there. But for us trying to build this peer to peer, we have the peer to peer protocol. Then we need to consider where the code is hosted at this current point in time, or maybe in multiple places, but we need to find one place where it's hosted. Then you have the access control. Uh, uh, you have eventual consistency because it's peer to peer, so you may not have the latest, you know. Um, and then you have the, 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 the blockchain, and, and that's a different system which has its own kind of guarantees. You know, so bringing all of these things together is what's really difficult, I'm finding. Um, under a kind of experience that is even remotely as close to what you get on GitHub, right? Um, it's very, very hard to get all the pieces together and, and make them feel like one when they don't even have the same sort of availability guarantees or um, like, like designs, right? Um, that's, that's definitely one of the things. Um, and and then I guess it's it's just um, it's just work you know there's uh, the, the things like um, like like signing of commits or signing of of uh, branches um, there's a lot of different moving parts to that you know there's there's the git commits but then um, you know how do you associate a git commit with a, a, an address of a user on a DAO? Right, you have to create this association somewhere. It needs a proof. It needs to be that proof needs to be verified also, um, to to make sure that the signer is actually the person you think they are. Like there's there's just a lot of there's a lot to it. Hmm. Yeah. Actually, um, <laughs> I I would I would suggest you might take a look at my protocol. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might be able to to solve a few of these issues um, I'd be interested. Yeah. In, in the sense that actually within uh, within this protocol, actually we remove the, 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 because uh, currently IP is the, is the sort of the narrow waste of the networking protocol. Do you know what I mean by the narrow waste? Mm, so, okay. No. If you've got an hourglass infrastructure, mm -hmm. <laughs> so IP would be at the center of the hourglass infrastructure whereby all the data, uh, all the um, the components that move the bits are on the bottom side of the hourglass, and everything that uses the bits is is on top of the uh, yes. the, the the thing. Mm -hmm. But both sides see the IP uh, address. Now, now I, IP is is basically the it's the cent the center point, and it's also an indirection. Mm -hmm the actual uh, uh to to your actual data so this means that every time you want data you have to go through an ip address uh, uh, an ip address or or something that is very close yeah. to an ip address um in my networking protocol basically i remove i, I shift the narrow waste mm -hmm. away from ip and i move it to um the hash sorry your your public key so, so whenever you want to do something, you actually you just you just say, okay, this is the this is the public key I want to do, um, and the and then slash what you want to do. So it'd be slash you know uh, um, uh, clone this GitHub repository, some, something like that. 
and then that app would say, okay, um, yeah, I, I know what to do. Um, and then the network would see this packet, and then and it would it would it would find the node that the is address eventually. Yeah, exactly. And it could be it could be an IP address. It could be it could be yeah. you know um, carrier pigeons, for example. It could be yeah. Morse code. It does, it could be radio frequency. Yeah. It really doesn't matter the transport or the the type of yeah. networking protocol. Uh, so does um, does Tor work like this also? Well, Tor. Yeah, well, kind of, but Tor is a bit different in the sense that uh, um, uh, Tor is optimized for, for something else in the sense that you have uh, uh, you have all these, uh, there's onion network, right? And, yeah. and it just bounces between the two. And then this onion network automatically presumes that it's all IP, right? So... You know, sure. Yeah, but I, I just mean in the sense that you you can you can route based on a public key. In Tor. Oh, you're referring to the onion address, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. In that sense, yeah. But I mean, like the entire networking protocol is not designed no, 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 ground no, up to no, be no, no, no. Yeah. Uh, transport agnostic. You see. No. So, and and this is my logic. My logic behind this is that is that uh, you know I. I assume immediately assume from the Arab Spring. Uh, the, sorry, yeah, I think the Arab Spring. Remember when when Egypt should shut down the internet, right? Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. and and actually, actually, my 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 initial incentive, uh, motive, not incentive, my initial motivation to design this networking protocol was the 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 shit that WikiLeaks that Julian Assange went through, right? Like he, it's surprising the kinds of hoops that Assange and the WikiLeaks team jumped through to keep their their data up and running right i mean right. They, they they moved they moved their data off into like uh, bunkers in in switzerland right you know all sorts of crazy ass stuff uh they did so i was like well is it possible to is it possible to build the concept of data dissemination into the networking protocol mm -hmm. such that i just publish this data once and the data by itself if you get the data by itself you don't have to go to an ip address to get it i mean if you have it, it's 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 atomic in in the sense that all the data associated with with, with it will prove its veracity, mm -hmm. uh, its uh, provenance. So I know it definitely came from you because I have your public key and you signed it. Um, and because of that same signature, I can determine that the integrity of this data is also is quite good. So I was like, okay, what kind of networking protocol would 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 um, WikiLeaks use such that they can able to disseminate it far and wide? And it's a you know, it's a copy and forward. So wherever yeah. the wherever the in the network there's popularity, wherever that data is popular in the network, you'll see more instances or breadcrumbs of this uh, signed uh, data uh, 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 roaming around that part of the network. So, yeah. So in this way, in this way, you can remove the the entire abstraction, and and you just. As, and it simplifies things for the application programmer because all you really care about now is 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 coordinating between uh, known um, uh, key pairs that you know about, and and then you can do separation of concerns. Uh, for, for yeah, no, for sure, because uh, like physical addresses are are just kind of annoying. Like in, lot, in most cases, maybe not most cases, but in a lot of cases, you're not interested in in the physical address of of a peer. You, you're interested in the data. Right. Yeah, and um, especially for for our protocol, um, data the data, data could be on multiple physical addresses. Doesn't matter it, since it's all verified and signed. You just want to get the data. It doesn't matter from where. 
yeah. and you can verify it. And uh, so there's so yeah. much plumbing. There's so much plumbing right. that goes yeah. into just getting that data. And in this case, it's like be damned with all the plumbing. I actually don't care. Network, well, go and find me the data. Sorry, you're doing the plumbing for everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Someone has to do the plumbing. It cannot be avoided. <laughs> yes, I'm doing the plumbing. I'm doing the plumbing. Oh man! But it's but it's kind of fun. I've learned a lot, there. Eh? I've learned a lot, uh, and I have newfound respect for those guys who did, um, um, you know, all the networking protocols like TCP/IP and all of that. I have newfound yeah. respect for them. But yeah. also, it's kind of annoying because you know it's a 60 year old protocol. Yeah. Pretty much, you know, not not much has changed. And it makes me wonder, it's like, is it just so damn difficult that nobody's willing to take up this battle? Mm. You know, where are, where are the bells? Where are the bell research labs nowadays? <laughs> They're not. I know. It's because, like, the, the TCP stack is buried so deep in, like, in operating systems that, like, it's impossible to, to get rid of it or to replace it. It's just kind of forever calcified. It's one of those yeah. things we're just going to have to deal with until the end of time, I think. Quite likely, quite likely. But I mean, uh, but as a result, it's like there's not 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 an ounce of security built into yeah. that protocol, you know. No. Like so, as a result, because of TCP/IP, um, we will, if if we choose to continue going this way, we will forever be plagued by um, uh, data dissemination monopolies like Facebook, Twitter, Amazon. Mm -hmm. Because like right now, like for example, if 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 I trust it's your data i go to your facebook mm -hmm. profile for example and i i just assume that that's that's your stuff so but actually i'm i'm going to facebook uh, it, as you said it's a centralized model right so yeah, they can show whatever they want yeah exactly but that's that architecture stems directly from well this is i perceive it this way that architecture stems directly from doing a data dissemination over a point to point communication network which is tcpip yeah i mean you you need in the end we're talking about a physical world right so you're going to have to put the, the the physical layer somewhere right like even like you're you're resolving the the public keys to some some kind of ip address some physical address at some point because we can't, right? Like the computer is a physical machine in the end. And so if you're going to send something to it, at some point, you're going to have to get its IP address or some other identifier that lets you send it to a specific machine. Um, There's no resolution but, though. Yeah. There's no resolution. So it, it would just take the data and sort of flood it out. And then it would go over and then each node might have maybe, for example, five different uh, links yeah. and each link might be for example UDP maybe TCP maybe maybe you know stenographic embedding over SM, SMTP yeah. for example or another one would be a laser a laser connection to a neighbor over there and it would just flood the the that particular yeah. no I mean we've 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 in, like ingrained a lot of our assumptions into the the core protocol stack and, and now exactly now what people are doing is they're building on top right yeah so yeah, like, yeah. like that and ipfs and and BitTorrent and all they're built on tcp and udp and they're trying to to provide this abstraction but on top of a bunch of existing layers instead of underneath them or instead of them right yeah they're, they're just building on top which you know it's doable it, but it is more inefficient and a little bit redundant but um and slow as fuck and so, yeah. <laughs>
Well, anyway, I mean, okay, so this, this, and, and then you've probably got another three years before it actually becomes quite usable uh, in, a, in the sense of like, you know, uh, uh, organizations on the DAO and, yeah. and pull requests and issues, etc. Yeah, I would say a couple of years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I think we can onboard, we're, we're going to start onboarding some users now who are more interested in the aspect of controlling source code as a DAO or as a team, right? So not the collaboration part, but really the access control and making that decentralized and, and secure. Um, so that's something we can we can actually launch. We are launching fairly soon, and it's it's you know it's doable. Um, but for the for the other uh, the other set of features, which is more around collaboration, that's probably going to be another year or two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. So what other sort of insights have you got? I'm going to throw the stone and let you let you see where it sort of lands. What sort of like uh, things have been uh, uh, coming into your mind? What's sort of, you know, been interesting you lately? Something you want to chat about? Something that's exciting to you? New technology, et cetera? Uh, um, very open-ended question. Um, there's a couple of things, I guess. Uh, um, one thing that, that came about that I found um, not super, super new, but still new is, is the whole RISC-V um, architecture. Um, I, I'm, I'm quite excited about this because I would like to one day own a computer that is entirely open source from the hardware to the software. Um, right now I can do that with the software, but not really with the hardware, um, or at least not, you know, Practically speaking, I know there are some solutions out there, but um, and and yeah, risk risk five risk v however however you say it is, uh, um, I would say one of the the very promising projects that that might enable a whole slew of high performance um, open source CPUs, maybe GPUs even, um, uh, to, to to create an architecture from right. Because right now we have the Intel and AMD monopoly. Um, who knows what's running on my computer on the kind of uh, what, was, what is the the, in, in the Intel chips? They have this part of the chip, which I forget the name of it, but it basically is a backdoor. And um, I think you can disable it or try to not install it on certain computers. But anyway, it's designed to have this, um, this remote access for um, I think for administrative uh, reasons, but of course it's been exploited. Um, so that to me is super exciting, and, and maybe one day I will be um, I will have time to um, to contribute to that and to to to, to you know reimagine the operating system from the ground up with that architecture. That's something I'm super I'm super interested in, and and same thing with hardware wallets. I think where we haven't even seen the start of Hardware wallets like the 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 ledger, you know, is 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 good. The the cold card is great, I would say. Um, but there's so much more potential there. So how would you how would you move? How would you where would you see this potential? How would it how would it go? But the thing is, like, you, I don't know. Should we skip over the risk five stuff? Like, yeah, I, I I really liked I really like the idea of uh, this open source instruction set. I think that um, what's it? Uh, high five. Is it high five? Yeah, exactly. They have. Um, they're actually part like the the team that designed uh, Risk Five. 
um, are working on this implementation. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, that we. I don't think there is actually an implementation out there yet. Is there? Is. there? Yeah, the, the high five. No, in hardware, like as in actually. They released hardware that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When? Um, like a year ago or something. Oh, okay. I must have been underneath my rock. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I think it's fairly expensive. Like it's more of a developer board that you can use to oh. experiment with rather than consumer, because it's quite expensive for the for what you get. And I think um, there's a Chinese project also that is uh, because yeah. you know in when there was all the embargoes with Trump and they they basically right. prevented U.S. companies from from you know providing chips for um, I think it was Huawei or one of the big telecoms in China. They started to be interested in open source solutions, aka Risk Five. Um, so it may come from there. You know, if we have like trade wars, that'll actually be great for open source. Um, <laughs> well, open source instruction sets. At least uh, that. Yeah. yeah. No, but even <laughs> operating systems, right? Like if if uh, Microsoft is not allowed to sell Windows to uh, the oh. Chinese, or mm. you know. I mean, in Europe already, they have they're they're allowed to use Windows, but um, they they don't want to be so dependent on American products, and so they they use Linux in, in government usually. Yeah. Um, no, so so that's definitely interesting. Open hardware is something I kind of keep. Uh, uh, I'm always on the lookout for. Yeah. Uh, uh, this could we can move into the 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 wallet. Yeah, uh, ideas. So, so what what what's your what's your thoughts on the current situation? Um, I I still find find hardware wallets very like um, unergonomic and a pain to use, oh, yeah. and, um, and not very well built. Also physically, um, yeah. I, I, there's. I mean, if you think about it, like. Um, what's wrong with the Trezor one? I mean, like seriously, what's wrong I with that? I haven't tried the Trezor. I haven't tried it, um, but. Uh, I've I've only tried the the ledger and the the cold card, and um, they're they're both they're both decent in their own ways. I kind of like the the minimalism of the cold card actually. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I I think it's just it's the very beginning. You, you don't have big companies building hardware wallets yet, like companies with a budget of Apple um, or Google or or Square. That's a good point. Um, so Square is starting to look into it now. But yeah. um, when you look at what Apple can do um, with the iPhone, um, just in terms of engineering, uh, I can just imagine what what we'll see in, in terms of. Oh, so that's what you mean by by um, uh, it hasn't even touched the you know yeah. like so so um, you know I, I I mentioned my networking protocols got this i the 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 key pair right so like yeah. my thoughts were like. Shit, where am I going to store the key pair or the private key? Yeah. Um, and I, I was setting about and I was creating my own little, like a little USB dongle thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I went on and I thought, you know what? What I would like to see is like a kind of a watch. I'd like to have a watch where I can sort of plug in something and, and, you know, it would have the my 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 private key in there, and I could just do networking that way if I wanted to sign something. So I came across something called Watchy, <laughs> dude. Here it is, right here. It's it's an e ink thing. It's an oh e ink God. thing, uh -huh. and uh, it's like a DIY sort of thing. Um, you can and, put a private key on there. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. it's all open source, open source hardware software. 
And I thought, I thought, fucking hell, this is really, really cool. E-Inca can last me for like a week at a time. And, uh, and I just stick in a, a, a USB cable in there and I just walk around wherever my private key is. Like it's on my, it's on my wrist. This is where we kind of getting to, man. I, I think it's awesome. I so, think it's really yeah, awesome. There's, um, there's actually a company um, that reached out to me um, because they, they, they wanted to build um, a lightning wallet for Bitcoin using Nakamoto uh, because they're in a jurisdiction that does not allow things like Electrum or any form of custodial. What? Um, yeah. So it's, it's the, the, um, the Emirates like in, in, uh, in the Middle East. Yeah, where they're, they're, they're super strict and they're essentially like, yeah, you can't, like, if you have a server, then good, bye-bye. <laughs> so, um, so he's like, okay, well, how can we, how can we design this without a server? Um, and <laughs> oh, fuck. All right. It's, it's pretty funny. But so, so they, they're doing something using a, um, these cards called Tangem. Um, and they're, they're little uh -huh. cards with a chip on them. And um, it's a secure element chip where you can put a private key on it. And then you have a mobile app on your phone that has NFC technology, and you just tap the, the card on your phone every time you want to make a payment or, or do stuff like that. And I think that's also super interesting where you would have your, you would have your private key on this, on this little card that has no LED, it has nothing, right? But maybe you wouldn't, um, uh, you, you would still have like a pin code on, on your phone or wherever you're using the card. But the card is portable. You can put it in your pocket. You can even gift it to someone or whatever. Um, and it has your private key on there. And um, yeah, and then the wallet is just the, the mobile app or the mobile wallet is is just an interface to the to the private key. It doesn't actually hold the private key. Anyway, that's so, the but they would still have a server, though, right? Well, they're trying to do it without. Um, okay. the, the only problem is uh, is Lightning because um, the user kind of needs a lightning node <laughs> and, <laughs> and an established connection. So if you, if you turn yeah. your phone off or, and, and back on, like, yeah, there's, there's some issues that they're trying to resolve. And, and actually, they're, they're really into um, uh, Thunder and all those things. They're like crazy for it. And I'm like, just relax. It's going to take you like three years to even build this. Um, don't get too excited about it. Um, but yeah. Um, the, the <laughs> I suppose Nakamoto is opening up a lot of doors for you too. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I mean, I don't do it for a living or anything, um, but uh, there, there's been more and more interests or like commercial interest, even um, people who want this or that feature developed. Um, uh, so I've, I've had some offers for sponsorships and things like that. And you've turned them down, though, right? Um, not all of them. I, I've taken I've I've taken some when when it really aligned with um, with the vision for the for the project. You know. Okay. Oh, the, um, so then you're in a lucky position to be able to do that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. Most people can't. You know. Definitely. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. I've tried to to get a grant from uh, Square Crypto also, like back when I started the project, but. Uh, it was weird. It didn't What's, work out. What is what is Square Crypto? Square, you know Square. Square. Yeah, so Square Square has a crypto. Okay. Division. Yeah. And uh, they fund a lot of uh, Lightning development. They fund a bunch of projects like BDK, Bitcoin Development Kit. 
Right. Um, they fund, uh, yeah, they fund a, a few Bitcoin projects essentially via grants. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't know. Hey, I, I'm very jaded when it comes to applying for funding. Hey, I just, I just am. It's like, yeah. it's gotta be, it's gotta be like mass appeal and, or, or mm -hmm. I don't know. Just yeah, no, I, I got you. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have the best experience either. Ah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, but uh, would you would you consider like um, trying to become like a full time Bitcoin developer or something like that? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I think I think when 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 radical when the radical project doesn't need me anymore, um, that's definitely something I, I'm considering. That's like where I I, I think I would want to go. Right. Because um, it's just it's just the most interesting project right now out there. Right. I think. Right. 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 Um, and yeah, if I could find work where I still have my freedom, you know, I, I wouldn't want to. At this point, I I, I don't want to work for someone anymore. Mm -hmm. Um. But but I don't want somebody, somebody's got to pay, right? Yeah. 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 Someone has How to does... pay, but I don't want a boss. <laughs> How does that? Okay. I mean, it, it works. What happened so, to the capitalistic division of labor sort of thing, you know? <laughs> sure. Um, I, I think um, if, I can, if I can sort of jump from project to project and, and, and of course, be, be paid for my work and have someone to report to, but not in a um, subordinate type of relationship, if that okay. makes sense. Well, then... I think a lot of Bitcoin developers uh, have Are, that actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, okay. they're, they're, they're sponsored for, for work on Bitcoin Core or Lightning or whatever. Um, that would be. Okay. Really so their mandate is just basically work on Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. uh, you've already got a proven track record that you yeah. work on Bitcoin. You've gone through the suffering of, you know, working for free essentially. Exactly. And exactly. then, like, we'll, we'll keep you going. Uh, yeah. Just keep doing what you're doing. Exactly. That would be ideal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Nakamoto, I think, gets you quite, quite, quite far along the path. It's, it's something, yeah. And yeah. is it? Is it? It's not complete, is it? No. So um, what's missing? For example, if I wanted to build drive chains, um, mm -hmm. use Nakamoto for drive mm -hmm. chains. Like, what? What am I? What would I be missing out? What would I be cursing at the heavens for? So actually, like now, um, so I, I, I have a branch now. Um, under TX processing that adds a lot of the missing functionality, uh, mainly around client-side filtering and, and dealing with transactions and confirmations and things like that. So once that's merged, the main thing that is going to be missing is actually the, the Sybil resistance around um, client-side filtering. So more of a um, security feature rather than a user end user feature, mm. um, more of a product productionization related thing um, rather than a missing feature. Um, and that's kind of going to be the last, I would say, big thing that I would say, like, wait, don't use this in production yet. OK, well, I'm going to be using it. Sure, yeah. I won't yes. wait. No, you don't. Don't worry. <laughs> 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 if you're saying, like, yeah, you know, I have, like, millions on the line. Should I use this? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But definitely start playing around with it, and uh, um, yeah, it's 
it's mostly feature complete, I would say, at this point. You know, it's, and and except for the TX processing, but that's going to be merged at the end of the month. Oh, good. Yeah. And what's sort of missing from that? Um, actually, let me let me look that up quickly because I have the um, is missing from that. Um, mainly. Um, uh, re replacing transactions, so the ability to kind of like compatibility with the RBF, so replace by fee, right? Um, that sort of thing is missing, um, and a little bit better um, uh, retry mechanisms. So there's there's certain things that are not retried at the moment. So like such as like you try to fetch filter headers. Ah, if, if, ah okay. The peer is not giving you the filter headers, and is not is just ignoring you, um, it's probably just going to hang there and you're not going to get those headers right. okay. until it's disconnected and then it'll reconnect. I mean, it's it's just kind of non-optimal right now. Um, so, so it's just some networking stuff, essentially, um, that... Uh, okay, so so I, I suspect I see where there might be an issue because the current drive chains, mm -hmm. they have an older fork of Bitcoin Core uh -huh. um, which might not support this client side uh, filtering. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I need to speak with Cryptax to see to yeah. see if that that is supported or not. And if not, then start to either encourage them to do it or mm -hmm. do the heavy lifting myself to, mm. to. I mean, I mean, you're sure you're going to need client side filtering because I don't know, dude. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Like you told me about client side filtering, it's the first time I've really heard of it. Right. I mean, you, you need that if you want to verify that a transaction is in a block. Or that that you were paid or something, which I don't know. I mean, for Lightning, you need more things like checking that a UTXO. Well, this is not necessarily for Lightning. This mm -hmm. is more for uh, um, a no, side change of the. I'm drive just saying chain. different places oh, okay, okay. need different things from a light client, right, and so right, 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 um, right, right. if it's just verifying block headers, then that's. Yeah, it's easy, you know. Yeah, it's job um, done. It's job done. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let me know. Cool, man. Yeah, that's cool. Um, well, kind of like I'm feeling quite kind of happy about the conversation, though we are quite, you know, we started about eight. It's normally these conversations go on for another hour or so. Really? Oh wow. Oh yeah. Oh, are you I'm are you like getting a bit tired? Hey, <laughs> I'm running out of saliva. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, we can naturally we can sort of cut it here naturally, mm. uh, um, uh, and uh, but I yeah, I really appreciate this uh, this this chat with you. Um, Super it's, fun. It's, it's been great, sort of like seeing seeing the the face behind the that beautiful code mm -hmm. that you write. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, like maybe next time I come through Switzerland, I'd I'd love to have a beer definitely, with you. Definitely, definitely. And yeah. I suppose can you reveal the information uh, about what city you're in or? Operational security. Yeah, uh, I'd rather oh, not. We, we will stop. We will stop the recording, really? and then you can tell me afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you also speak with a bit of an American accent there. Yeah, but I, I'm not. I'm French, actually. I, You've uh, been watching too much Friends, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, or like the equivalent of. Yeah, um, I I, I, um, I grew up learning both languages, actually. Okay. So. That's probably it also. And I, I lived in Canada for, for quite some time and worked with Americans. Okay. Is it, are we talking years here? Yeah. Okay. Toronto? 
uh, Vancouver and Montreal. Okay. 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 Yeah. Oh, nice parts of the world. Anyway, um, Alexis, thanks so much. Thanks, Stuart. <laughs> All right, man. Let, let me let me let me just kill the recording and.